Welcome to Oddities, a love letter to the unexplained. I am Keith, and joining me as always is Joe. And tonight we're going to finish up our personal ghost stories. Yes. All right. So if you remember from last time, I did talk about some experiences with shadow folks at my parents' house. I mostly stuck to, or I only stuck to stories from Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Now we're going to move to Madison, Wisconsin, and the year is 2015. I had just gotten done with my shift at work. It was about a little after nine o'clock when I got back to the place I was living at the time. Um, All my roommates were out, actually. They were all um, at, I believe it was some sort of convention was in town or something in Madison. I can't remember. But they were all gone. None of them were there that weekend. Even the dogs were gone. They had taken them to uh, their parents' house to be watched. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make some fries. And um, so I take the fries out. I start preheating the oven. And... I'm wearing my work clothes, which is like dress pants and dress shoes and a polo. And, I'm, you know, it's a little stuffy. So I want to go grab a hoodie and some shorts. You know, it's September. It's getting cold out. So I go upstairs. Now, upstairs, my room is at the end of the hallway on the left side. Across from my room is the master bedroom where my roommates were staying. And at the way end of the hallway, there is a window with the drapes open and, and a little table so that the cats can hop up and look out the window. I got up to the top of the stairs and I froze because there was something at the end of the hallway. I couldn't see the window. I couldn't see the table. There was just something pure black standing at the end of the hallway. And it it felt evil. It felt like it wanted to hurt me. And I was frozen in fear and I didn't know what to do. It felt like forever. Um, but it was maybe two or three seconds and then it was gone. And I could see the window, the moon was shining in. I saw the table. I went over and I flipped the light switch on, which is maybe two steps away from me. And I just went to my room, got my clothes, came down, got my food, went back upstairs. And uh, I did not leave my room that night. It was a very terrifying experience, but that is uh, my first story. Man, back to the shadow people. They just give me chills like no other. It's one thing to experience an entity or a spirit or a ghost, you know, that has no intent. A lot of people who visit Gettysburg experience almost like you're watching a recording of the battles. You're seeing, you know, ghostly soldiers marching off into battle. Now, something they experience that has a malevolent intelligence that just takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah, and it was definitely something, um, I'll never forget, there are very few times I've been frozen in fear But that was definitely one of them and the most terrifying. Taking it from there, so I've got a couple of uh, quick hit stories. These two stories come from actually whenever my wife and I went on our honeymoon. The first location that we went to was actually the Stanley Hotel, which is the inspiration and actually where Stephen King wrote the infamous book, The Shining. And it was inspired by his experiences at that hotel. So. Just a little bit of a kind of background into the first specific story. In 1911, whenever the Stanley was already in operation, they started to implement like an installation of an auxiliary gas lighting system. So they they filled the pipes and then, you know, everything was, they were good to go or so it seemed. There was a chambermaid by the name of Lizzie, I believe it's Leitenberger, that was actually above the dining room where the gas leak had occurred, lighting a match to light one of the uh, the lanterns. And it caused a massive explosion that, that tore a huge hole in the floor. Um, you know, there was 
glass, plaster, timber, and debris all over the place. Now, Lizzie actually survived. Um, she did break both of her ankles and she had a very extreme concussion. Now, she was thrown into a hole in the floor into the dining room. How this relates to the actual just a little bit of story. So we were on the ghost tour, which if you're ever in the Estes Park area, I'd highly recommend taking the Stanley ghost tour. For me, I love the history of these locations and I love hearing the stories. And this is one that just really, really spoke to me. And I really thought it was an interesting story because Lizzie survives. So my wife and I are on the tour. We're kind of just, you know, joking around, having a good time, taking pictures, just enjoying the stories. So I was just like bursting pictures, trying to catch anything, you know, like orbs or figures or anything like that. Whenever I was just kind of scanning the room, that's, I believe this happened in the grand ballroom or, or where the, uh, the incident with Lizzie and the gas explosion happened. The tour guide said, you know, this this is the area where she actually fell through the floor. You know, this is where she landed. This is where she broke her ankles. So I made sure to take, you know, quite a few burst pictures of that specific area. So we're just kind of, you know, taking a little bit of break on board so everybody can kind of look around and everything. I thought it was a good time for my wife and I to sit down and kind of review some of our photos. So I'm scrolling through, you know, if you've ever done burst mode, you can do like 30 pictures within like a matter of seconds. So it takes a little bit of time. So I get to the pictures of this specific table and I'm scrolling through kind of quick and, you know, I'm not really expecting to see much because like I've said before, I'm not, I'm not so much of a skeptic of ghosts, but it's just, I've never actually seen anything. So I wasn't expecting to find a lot. So I'm scrolling through, scrolling through, and then all of a sudden in one of the pictures, I see this best way I can describe it is if somebody took the picture, printed it out and they drew like with a light pen, almost like a dot and then a circle, probably about the size of uh, just an estimation, a little bit bigger than like maybe a softball. And it was just bright, bright blue. So I was like, okay, maybe that was camera flare or something. I was like, but I, I know better because, you know, modern cameras don't really have those issues that much anymore. So I'm scrolling through, scrolling through. And I noticed that this orb has, you know, a little bit of a flight path where it's like kind of moved a little bit. So it was, you know, near the near the top of the table and then it moved and then it was almost looked like it was sitting down at one of the chairs at the table. You know, I, I just took it for what it was. And, you know, I, I thought it was pretty cool that I actually had caught some evidence, um, you know, at one of the most notoriously haunted locations. Um, like I said, we didn't really have any other experiences. Um, I believe my wife said that she felt a little lightheaded at one point of the tour. You know, some people can say that that's spirit trying to use your energy. But to actually have a, a picture of something like that, I I'd still think that's one of the coolest things that I've ever seen. And uh, I feel like it was just Lizzie popping in to say hello and give me a little bit of a cameo photo. Yeah, that is um, a very interesting story. I actually really enjoy that. I love um, I love The Shining, first off. Uh, it's a fantastic movie, great book. Classic. And to be there, like, yeah. there. Uh, when I was in San Diego um, back in 2013, I just couldn't get over there. Um, but it is one of my regrets. I, I really did want to see the Stanley Hotel. Um, yeah. it's it's an impressive hotel like it's once you if you don't know kind of um if you have no inkling about you know stephen king or the shining or anything like that it's a beautiful hotel um even still with knowing that the kind of the background of it you know it's still just this setting is just so picturesque picturesque and gorgeous we went around like late later early june you know it's like a little bit warm but it was like thunderstorm season so we got to see like thunderstorms roll through the mountains from our hotel window and then like i said like 
you know, if there were spirits there, I mean, they were very welcoming and very kind to us because we, I slept like a rock the couple nights that we stayed there and so did my wife. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, you know, that's probably a good thing. Um, I've heard that, you know, spirits, spirits don't let you sleep very often. So you probably weren't in a uh, terribly haunted place or if you were, they knew not to mess with you. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we actually, so we, we got a picture of the infamous room. Um, I believe it's 217 is the one where, you know, Stephen King had his experiences. Um, you know, just a lot of their little background, you know, Dumb and Dumber was actually filmed in part at this location as well. And uh, Jim Carrey is a huge horror buff, so he actually wanted to stay in that room as well. And I don't remember the exact time, but he did not make it through the night until he, he wanted out of that room. So there's lots of, uh, I think it's, you know, there's lots of spirits there. And I feel like if you approach them humbly and, you know, just know that they were people as well. I mean, you'll have a great experience there. Um, if you go in there very boastful and uh, very brash, you might have a, a little bit of a different experience than I did. Yeah, I've always been told, um, because my family's pretty big into like spirits and believing, um, my mother always told me, um, if you don't want a spirit to bother you, just ask it to leave you alone. Just please leave me alone. I do not want to be bothered and they will leave you alone. Yeah, that's kind of the uh, the unwritten law of uh, of spirits, I guess. Maybe it's in their their handbook that they get or something. But yeah, yeah, the ones that are the ones that are that were you know good, good and just and just great people. You know, it's the same thing. You know, you don't want to deal with them. They they tend to not appear to you. But if you provoke, I mean, that's when you get uh, that's when you get some different situations. Yeah, that's when um, you know maybe they change shifts and the bad guys show up. Right. I will say that one thing about the, the tour on the Stanley is they do take you down into the basement. Now, the basement does have a um, it has a different feel for sure. There's it's not quite an oppressive feeling, but you know that some you, you feel like you're being watched. And the, the, the entire hotel, when we went, it was it was pretty busy, like not crazy busy. That hotel always feels much busier and much more packed than it actually is. Like, and I can only attribute that to the spirits. Now, again, the same thing in, in the underground tunnels that they have. Now they take you down there as part of the tour and they tell you, hey, you you know, you guys are you're more than welcome to actually take a rock from the foundation if you want. You know, there's a very strong warning with it, though, that they get rocks sent back to them constantly because, you know, whatever is whatever spirits are down there like to attach themselves to those rocks and follow the people home. So a lot of those rocks get returned via UPS or FedEx because they, you know, whatever followed them home, they don't want it there anymore. Yeah. And I've heard that with a lot of places. Um, I mean, if you think that there's ghost activity, just leave them alone or you're going to take it with you. Um, never, ever, ever take anything from a from a haunted house. No, the only thing that I'll take is the uh, the story, the memories and maybe a couple pictures. That's it. I don't I try not to take anything else if I can help it. Yes, that is probably the most respectful way to approach spirits yep well i think it's time for you to uh jump back into another one of your stories yes we're gonna cap off my stories um for this edition of ghost stories with uh one more from my first house in madison wisconsin 
Um, once again, we're in 2015, early 2016. Um, little background, the house was an older house. Um, it was the strangest architecture in the world. I can't really describe how strange the house was, but um, apparently when my roommates had moved in, because I moved in midway through their lease because I needed a roommate, um, there was a doll on a chair in the basement. No one ever touched it. No one ever went down to the basement just because it was very creepy. And <clears throat> a lot of my friends had a bad feeling from the house. Uh, they said there was strange energy, you know, what everyone says about ghost houses, uh, haunted houses, the strange energy, you know, weird foreboding feelings. Well, um, after a while, I'm not someone who usually sleeps with their bedroom door locked, but after a while that house, I did. Um, and the reason why is because something kept opening my door. Um, in one particular time that I remember is it was around, oh, I'd say about 2 a.m., 1.32 a.m. I'm kind of a night owl because I usually work closing shifts at, or I used to work closing shifts at the store I was working at. And so I was up just on my computer messing around, watching YouTube videos, playing little games. And <clears throat> the hallway light was on because if someone needed to get up to go to the bathroom, that house got very dark. So um, I hear someone walking down the hallway. Obviously, I think, okay, one of the roommates is up and walking around, probably just getting a drink of water, going to the bathroom, coming back to the room. And I hear them walk and walk and walk. And then I see two footprints, not or like two shadows of feet in front of my door. You can see them under the light, like under the door with the light. You can see two shadows where feet would be. And the knob starts to jiggle. And I'm like, okay. Um, obviously someone's confused and then the door opens and there's no one there um so that was really spooky and i popped up obviously closed the door and i locked it um and a few nights later the same thing happened except this time they couldn't open the door because i had locked it so kind of a quick little one um I believe it was probably the same entity that had scared me in the hallway. Um, so that's, you know, my story about the house in Madison. That house got torn down, I believe, about six months after I moved out. Um, I say good riddance. That was a creepy, creepy house. Yeah, I'll say. I. Uh, so obviously I, I have a six-year-old, so... Um, a lot of the unexplained phenomenon, I, I tend to blame on her. Um, so doors, doors slamming, doors opening, things of that uh, sort. You know, it's usually there's a uh, very active six-year-old behind it instead of a poltergeist or anything like that. But man, I can't, uh, I can't imagine having an experience like that where a door opens, you're right there, and you're just standing there as the door opens, and there's absolutely nothing there. That's got to be. That's got to be a moment that um, that turns you into a believer, right there, 100%. It's like, uh, you know, the saying that there's no there's no such thing as an atheist in a uh, in a in a foxhole, basically. <laughs> so that's one of those situations that where I think that would turn around the most avid skeptic real quick. Yeah, uh, definitely, and it was definitely one of those. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I've always believed because I had all those experiences in my parents' house, but what was so unnerving about is you could see the feet 
like you could see the sh- like the shadow of feet under the door. So like you could tell something was standing in front of the door when it opened, and, and they didn't fully turn the knob either. They jiggled it and they jiggled Ugh. it until it opened, and that was the also that's, one of the more terrifying aspects of it because that's so scary. <laughs> they do say ghosts af- can affect the physical world. But that their grasp on the physical world is tenuous at best. Right. So it would stand that they can't turn the knob. Yeah. But they could jiggle it and jiggle it until it opens. Wow. I, like I said, I just can't, uh, man, I can't fathom seeing something like that. That just, that would make me just go insane, I think. <laughs> it was, it was definitely something else. Um, I, will just chalk it up to uh, a mischievous ghost and hopefully it's just mischievous and not uh, malevolent. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and uh, I think that uh, that leads leads uh, leads us directly to my, my next little quick hit. So again, like I said, uh, I've said before, um, unexplained phenomena tends to kind of uh, lump together. So if you've had one unexplained experience, like on a trip, you better believe that you're probably going to have quite a few others. Now, the second part of my wife and I's honeymoon, we started off in uh, Estes Park, Colorado, stayed at the Stanley Hotel. Then we, after a couple of days, we hopped on a jet and we we headed for a not at this time, sunny uh, San Diego. It's very cloudy when we got there, but still beautiful town. And um, one of the first things that we wanted to do, we wanted to go on a ghost tour of uh, old San Diego. We just heard amazing things about it. And, uh, you know, we're both into that. So we booked a, uh, a tour. Um, I don't remember the name of the booking company. I apologize uh, for that. But I do know that our, our tour guide, Dante, with that company was... I mean, this man was incredible. He was a part of the historical society. He knew all the history. He knew all the stories, and he had such a panache for telling telling these stories that it was it was honestly the best ghost tour that I've ever been on, and the, probably the best tour that I will ever go on. <clears throat> now, this specific story happens at the William Heath David House. Um, you know, so you start off the tour in Old Town San Diego and they kind of start you off like wander around the Whaley House and, you know, some of the very, very popular tra- attractions in that area. You hear about Yankee Jim and the others. Now, we hadn't really seen anything on this tour, just mostly the stories and heard about the people. Now, when we got to the William Heath David House, things were a little bit different. Um, Dante had told us that if we, if we were, when we were in there, if we felt, um, you know, we felt dizzy, we felt disoriented, we felt anything like that, it was best for us just to go outside and get some fresh air. Now, he kind of joked about that, that it could be, you know, things like lead paint, gas leak, or, you know, the spirits were affecting us. No, obviously, it's a historical home, so any of those could have been true. So when we first walked into the William Heath David house, um, the energy felt different. It felt, it felt thick. It didn't feel oppressive like some people would say in the traditional haunting of something malevolent, but it felt thick. Like it felt like there was, it felt like the house was very crowded. Like it just, the air felt thick. Now, as they went to the, through the, the history of the house, you know that it was basically assembled in 1867 and then, you know, they moved it a couple times, um, you know, and it reached its current location in 1970. It was a part of a renewal project 
kind of heard a little bit more of this the history like in 1872 there was you know the, hor the very horrific tuberculosis tuberculosis epidemic i'm sorry let me do that again so in the summer of 1872 they saw a just horrendous tuberculosis epidemic hospitals were absolutely over overrun with the sick and the dying um and you know miss shepherd was a medical trainee and she took patients into her into the kind of the home as a makeshift hospital at this place she had very little resources and you know she just basically did the best that she could but you know the reality of it was she was try basically trying to make these people comfortable for their death um, she had the bodies cremated and she tried to make every effort to locate the the deceased people's family so she could return their remains to them so that's kind of the background of, of the story. So when we go in, like I said, it felt very thick, um, a little bit hard to breathe, but nothing too, nothing too crazy. We're standing in a room and, you know, Dante kills all the lights and just tells us to kind of imagine, you know, how things are going with so many sick people in the house, things like that. And um, it was around that time that I just started feeling really dizzy. Um, like I almost felt like I was going to fall backwards. So. I mean, just knowing, you know, a little bit, being a little bit of a, a magnet for the unexplained, I felt like it was a spirit trying to either take my energy without permission or, you know, I just wasn't feeling right. So I just did a little bit of a quick prayer to myself and basically told it, a spirit, if it was a spirit, that they didn't have permission to take my energy. And then just out of nowhere, just cleared up completely. And that was, I felt fine. So for the rest of the time we were in this house though, I felt like I was kind of in a bubble, like I was under underwater in a bubble. Now, the most interesting part of this is when we went upstairs. Um, so part of the tour group was upstairs, like checking into some of the rooms, which were actual hospital rooms where, where people with tuberculosis would be, or, you know, they did pass away. So we're kind of walking around. Lights are kind of off, you know, a couple of run-in lights, but nothing major. And then in one of the rooms that I kind of glanced into, one of the lights just just flashed right on, like you know somebody had just turned on the lights. So, me being kind of a, a little bit of a skeptic of it, and I'm like, this is kind of hokey that they're going to turn on a light on this tour, you know, kind of like get us going that you know there's spirits here turning on lights. So I, I look in the room, you know, and they they have like replica beds and everything in there, and I was like, okay, I was like, that's weird. It feels. It feels like it did whenever I was starting to feel dizzy. So I kind of backed out. My wife looked in there too. And she's like, oh, that was pretty cool that the that, that light came on. So we walked away and then the light flashed off. And so there was a um, a tour guide in training that was actually there with Dante. And and this this guy was, he was really scared once this light came on and off. And he's like yelling for Dante. And he's like, hey, hey, is this light supposed to do this? Then Dante came upstairs. He's like, do what? He's like, well, that light just turned on. Then it turned itself off. And he's like, no, there's this, there's like no switches for that light or anything like that. The only way they, they could do that would be like with the breakers or something. But I was down here with the rest of the tour group and I'm not playing with the breakers. <clears throat> so <laughs> this tour guide, I think he, I think he might've rethought um, kind of his career path that evening <laughs> that he, he didn't really, uh, know what he signed on for when in when visiting the uh the william heath david house davis house so we kind of made our way downstairs and you know that light flipped on again and then it flipped off again 
And then uh, we just kind of went about our way on the tour. And, you know, my wife and I just kind of talked about it, you know, that it would be a really cool gimmick and a really cool way to, you know, ensure that people did see something on this tour. But if they did have it set up that way, you know, kudos to them for figuring out a way to, to pull the pull the wool over my eyes because I don't see how they could have actually faked that with um, the main tour guide being downstairs with half of the group and then you know the other half of the group being up there with the the tour guide and training but it was a really cool experience in a uh, and unfortunately in a place that had a lot of really horrendous death but uh i feel like it was kind of one of the spirits like maybe telling telling me or the rest of the group like hey you know i i am here and i i don't i don't mean i don't mean you any harm but i do want to let you know that i'm here so that was my story at the uh the William Heath Davis house. Wow. Um, so your honeymoon is basically what I wanted to do when I was uh, going out to California in 2013. I wanted to stop in Colorado and see, uh, you know, the hotel from the shining. And, then, and I wanted to take the ghost tour in San Diego. Um, I just never, um, no, one, no one would do it with me. And I felt weird doing it by myself. Um, so I'm glad someone did it just so I can know what it was like. And that is, incredibly spooky yeah it's it's a great tour like i said i i love the history the history is what i'm in it for i love hearing about the stories of the people and who they were and you know kind of like what happened to them and i believe the tour company's name was haunted san diego ghost tours if you're ever in the san diego area definitely look them up and try to get on a tour with dante guys like i said the guy was incredible yeah um i know for myself i'm obviously um very interested in the paranormal and i'm also a historian by trade um you know obviously i went to school for that um did a few you know academic papers myself um now when it comes to what you said earlier about the ghost sapping your energy that was i thought really interesting because ghosts are very often associated with electrical phenomena too yep. with the lights turning on and off um so i wonder what that means for the nature of a ghost yeah and it's it's interesting that you bring that up because i i believe you and i have discussed this before there's something about my i don't know my bioelectricity um like that's why i don't typically wear watches unless it's like a special occasion because my my body's electricity will zap all of the energy out of that watch within like a day or two um you know it's something that it's always been something kind of wild and something kind of crazy but apparently i got it from my grandfather my dad's dad because he was the same way he had a uh he had a watch that actually I've got it right here on my desk that I always keep with me. He's got a Timex timepiece that uh, he gave me and he, he basically kind of chuckled. He's like, well, I want to give you this watch because, you know, I love you and I want you to remember me. And uh, but also, too, because I just killed it. <laughs> so we kind of had a joke. We had a chuckle about that. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's an interesting thing to bring up that you know the the composition of spirits is that they're very electrical you know um especially with the way that they feed on like battery power or people's um people's energy so much like that um you know what are they made out of are they made out of like a plasma or you know some other no unknown element that we haven't discovered yet yeah and i think also could it be that ghosts feed off of people's energy to make themselves known 
Like, do they need to absorb that energy to actually show themselves or do what they, you know, what ghosts do? Turn on lights, knock things over, make noises, even appear. Um, because yeah, because... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, just imagine that you're on the other side of the veil and you have no corporeal form. You have no energy source of yourself that uh, imagine the the mass amounts of energy that it would take to, you know, move something or, you know, maybe even try to materialize. And I think that's why we get so many um, apparitions that are just, you know, you see like a leg or like a head or an arm. It's, um, it's very rare that you see a full bodied apparition, or if it is, it's, um, it's an apparition. That's not very, that's not an intelligent apparition. It's one that's basically just imprinted on the environment, like a recording. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and that's honestly a very interesting, um, thought too. And what I'm thinking as well is all the stories I've told today um, revolve around it being, you know, early in the morning, late at night, after work, when I'm tired already. So maybe it's also when our guard is down. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that could be something as well. I mean, obviously, ghosts is all conjecture. So it's not like there is one solid, you know, there's not one solid reason why ghosts show up, why ghosts appear. And that's um, kind of the interesting part to me about ghosts because anything is possible with them. And what you yeah, said, and, and what you had said, um, calling back to the, our previous episode about the shape of a human standing in your driveway under a massive spotlight um, and not being able to make out any features. I wonder if it drew energy from the electricity of the spotlights or even the residual energy from your car. Yeah, I never thought about that actually. That's uh, a really good point. Maybe that's why it materialized at that point because it was absorbing some excess energy for my vehicle. Um, you know, some thermal, what is that, thermodynamic energy, I guess. Yeah, something like um, that. Or, or like you said, you know, even absorbing just the, I guess, absorbing the light from that light could also be powering it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's very interesting to me when it comes to what a ghost is, who is a ghost. Sorry about that. Um, what is a ghost? Who is a ghost? And where do they come from? I know I mentioned in the previous episode about how I have a theory that ghosts are the past catching up to us. Yeah, like, have you ever seen the movie The Langoliers, the Stephen King uh, miniseries? I think I have, actually, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, so there's a there's a part near the end of the movie. So basically, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the, the Langoliers from like 1990s <laughs> miniseries. <laughs> but uh, so basically what happened is they they crossed through like almost a portal, a portal like an Aurora Borealis, and they end up in between time. So not in the past, not in the present, but somewhere in between that and the future. So they're like in this weird spot. Now, whenever they actually remedy this, they actually fly back through the portal and they think that, they, that they've actually just ended up in the same spot. But um, one of the people who's uh, a part of the 
the people that are on the plane actually just theorize like no actually we're right where we need to be time just hasn't caught up with us yet and there's this really cool moment where they're all pressed against the wall you know as time's starting to catch up and then they start to see people fill in and running all back and forth kind of thing and you know it's very ghostly so that something like that actually uh is very interesting to me and the theory that it's you know the past present and future all colliding all at once but somehow somehow the veil's thinner and we're able to see all at the same time yeah and i think um you know when it comes to like the past present the future i guess we also don't know you know has the future happened is are we living in the past are we in the present um it's a lot of stuff to think about really um time itself i think is a big key to like figuring out what ghosts actually are um like you had said earlier about gettysburg being almost like a replay like watching a replay of what was happening with the spirits um but then you know we have entities interacting with everyday objects like my bedroom door or the lights in the in the house here's an interesting theory too that um that i've kind of thought of so what about you know there's so many people that just go missing just you know fall off the face of the earth you know every year no traces um anything like that what happens if a if a person actually encounters like a wormhole and you know they're transported through throughout time but they're still stuck in almost that tube where they they appear at multiple times so let's think about you know in the past where you know maybe the the town crazy says that they saw somebody show up with you know just crazy looking clothing and you know speak in a funny way or anything like that what if that was actually somebody who encountered a wormhole and was sucked back to the past i know that you know, um, science, science and scientists, they, they tell us that time is linear, but what if time is actually more circular and we actually are all going at the same time? So the things that we that we consider history is still actually happening in that timeline. So all the timelines are actually running parallel to each other. Yeah, and I think um, maybe it has something to do with, you know, are there people out there that have stumbled upon the secret to time travel um maybe that's it as well is there's something going through time telling us trying to tell us something um and obviously you know whether it be good or bad you know that's what they're trying to say to us and maybe that's what ghost is maybe a ghost is just a time traveler i mean we don't we don't know and i think that's what's so interesting and fun about the paranormal is that like we don't know at all what it could be um i mean like i said last episode until it's until it's figured out it could be anything um i don't think we should sit on just a spirit a spirit drifting up from the grave um and you know going back home because it could be anything um, it could be a time travel. It could be a wormhole. It could be the past um, coming back to us. It could be when our perceptions of reality are down, like when we're tired, and then we see through a veil to another time. 
or to another world or to another dimension. Yeah, exactly. I think the um, I think the theories and the the limits of those theories are almost endless at this point until it becomes a you know a hard fact and hard science. And I, I think that's one of the things that I love most about unexplained phenomena is that there's there's still magic to it almost like there's there's like an aura and a mystique to it, and that's something that uh, that I always love. You know, I think that might be a good topic, uh, time travel itself, to cover in long form uh, later this season. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Any opportunity I get to talk about the classic uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, Time Cop, I will absolutely take that opportunity. Exactly. Um, so then I think um, before we wrap it up today, I do want to ask, because this is the end of a two-part episode, Keith. On a scale of one to ten, how confident are you that uh, ghosts or spirits exist in this world? Um, I think I think definitely still for spirits, I'm going to have to go with nine or a ten. Ghosts, I'm still a little bit uh, more skeptical on. I do want to say that probably a six or a seven for ghosts, just because of the experience that I believe I had with Lizzie at the Stanley Hotel, um, and then the experience at the. Uh, at the home in San Diego as well. So it's making me a little bit more of a believer. So what about you? You know, I tend to lump ghosts and spirits in the same group. Um, and I'm going to go at a 10. Um, I am completely convinced with my experiences and experiences of people I know, uh, family experiences, friendly experiences, that there is another world besides ours, uh, whether it be time travel, whether it be, you know, the dead not staying dead. There's definitely ghosts out there. All right. I think that's going to do it for us. Oddities was written and produced by us, Joe and Keith, and the audio is protected by fair use. And if you have your own stories or have suggestions on what we should talk about next, please send us an email at oddiespodcast1 at gmail.com. That's oddiespodcast and the number one at gmail.com. Join us next week when we will be covering the Flatwoods Monster. And until then, I am Joe. And I am Keith. Stay spooky.